Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello. Welcome to this session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. In this session, we're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. I'm reading from the New International Version, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. Paul was giving the Thessalonians, these uh, new Christians in Thessalonica, the Thessalonian saints, instructions on how to live a lifestyle that was pleasing to God. Um, They were pagans. Uh, They were living according to heathen religion prior to coming to know Christ. So Paul had to teach them an entirely different kind of lifestyle. Uh, First, he taught them how they had to get rid of many of their old habits and practice it. He told them, you've got to make a good start, a new start. And he told them that they had made a good start, that they were doing well. But he wanted them to keep up what they were doing. He was coaching them like like a mother coaches her child when a toddler that's learning how to walk. Uh, he was telling them, you're doing good. Come on, take another step. Keep moving forward. Uh, you're doing great. He was encouraging them. He was coaching them. He was leading them in the right direction. He had modeled for them the Christian lifestyle when he was there in Thessalonica. So now he was instructing them to continue. He said to them, remember what we taught you and apply what we taught you. Uh, I remember as I was growing up that my my parents used to remind us, uh, remember how you've been taught. Remember how to behave yourself when you're out in public. Or if we did something to embarrass the family or to disgrace the family, uh, they would say, uh, you act like you don't have any home training. Well, Paul was giving these Thessalonian saints some home training. He had taught them how they are to live. He had modeled it for them. Uh, And now he was encouraging them to live that way. Now, verses three through five. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. In verses three through five, Paul mentions some of the things his missionary team had taught the Thessalonians. Uh, He taught them that they should be sanctified. Now, the word sanctified means to be set apart and holy. It actually has two meanings. One is to be set apart and holy. A good example of that is uh, the, the sanctification between a husband and his wife. These two are set apart for each other. They're set apart from other men and women, And they have vowed to give themselves only to each other. They are set apart exclusively exclusively for each other's use. 
When we become Christians, we become married to Christ. We are sanctified, set apart to Christ. So then we should not lend our bodies to the devil, or we should not lend our bodies to idol gods, or we should not do those things that are displeasing to God. We are sanctified to Christ. We're married to him. The word sanctified also means to be made clean or pure. When we become Christian, God begins the process of cleansing us from sin. God sanctifies us or cleanses us through three primary ways. Number one, he cleanses us by the blood of Christ. First John 1 John 1.7 says in the New Living Testament, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he cleanses us by the blood of Christ when we come to him. Secondly, he cleanses us by the word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26 in the New International Version says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water, through the word. So we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We are cleansed by the word of God. Uh, and David says also in, in Psalm 119.11, concerning being cleansed by the word of God, he says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So God cleanses us by his blood and by his word. And then thirdly, God cleanses us by his Holy Spirit. Philippians 2 and 12 and 13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, in other words, God is working inside of us by his spirit. When we become Christian, God imparts us the spirit of God. And his spirit begins to work inside us, giving us the desire to obey God and giving us the ability, the strength that we need to obey God. Romans chapter 8, verse 12, tells us to mortify or kill the sinful deeds of the flesh through the Holy Spirit. So we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We're cleansed by the word of God. We are cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Paul was very specific about the things that the Thessalonians should cleanse or sanctify themselves from. And not just the Thessalonians, but all of us who name the name of Christ, that, that we claim to be Christians, uh, we should cleanse ourselves from these things. At the top of his list was sexual immorality. Verse 3, he, te he tells them to avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any sex outside the bonds of holy matrimony, of marriage. God defines marriage between one man and one woman. So sexual immorality uh, is anything outside of that bond that God has established. Sexual immorality includes sex between unmarried heterosexuals. Uh, it includes homosexual sex. It includes bestiality, adultery, or pornography, and the like. The, uh, uh, the Thessalonians, or the, the, the city of Thessalonica, was steeped in sexual activity, sexual immorality, uh, even in their pagan worship, they used temple uh, prostitutes in the worship services. 
and the temple uh, prostitutes went about the city plying their wares. And, and so there was great temptation to indulge in sexual immorality. Not only was there temptation, there was great opportunity, opportunity everywhere to engage in sexual immorality. So this area of, of uh, temptation had to be addressed. Paul had to be straightforward about it and impart to them the will of God concerning these things. The Thessalonian saints were instructed to reject immoral conduct for a new lifestyle of purity. Paul taught that their faith must impact their lifestyle or it's not true faith at all. If their faith doesn't impact upon their lifestyle, if their faith does not uh, convert their way of living, then their faith was dead. The Thessalonians had to learn self-control because they had been used to living like pagans, giving in to their their desires, their sexual desires and their other immoral desires, whatever they wanted, they they gave themselves over to it. So now they had to learn to live a different life. And it wasn't just by human willpower. Uh, as Christians, they now again had the Holy Spirit who would help them, who would walk them through it, who would give them the strength to, uh, to resist that old lifestyle. They had to learn how to resist strong temptation and uh the demand that God put upon them is also put upon us today. Um, there are many people who claim to be Christians and just give head to their to their desires, whether they're sexual or otherwise. They just allow themselves to do whatever they want to do. But but God is, is He imposes upon us a different kind of lifestyle, a holy lifestyle, a, a pure lifestyle. Uh, the Thessalonians had to learn to honor God with their body. Every Christian must embrace these disciplines. But we have, again, um, I want to emphasize that we have the Holy Spirit who helps us and gives us power through, through prayer, through reading the word, through meditating upon the word, through memorizing the word of God, through fellowshipping with other believers in the local church. Uh, we are fortified and strengthened and renewed in the spirit of our mind to do the will of God. We are given, we are equipped to do what God has called us to do. Uh, and God helps us in the transformation process. Self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit, but we have to learn to exercise it through prayer and regular practice. Now, a, a common form of sexual immorality today is cohabitation or what is commonly called shacking. Unmarried couples living together like man and wife. This is a sin that must be abandoned to please God. When we become Christians, we want to know what pleases God and what displeases God because Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and our, our Savior. He's not just our Savior, He's also our Lord. And, and He will guide our lives and He'll direct our lives in a way that pleases Him. And that is wholesome and good for us. Nothing that the Lord um, asks us to deny ourselves or to turn away from is good for us. He only takes away the bad and he gives us uh, what is good for us and for others. Our faith must impact our lifestyle. We must learn to obey God. The Christian life is a struggle against sin. We're like uh, the salmon that, that swim upstream. We swim against the current. 
The rest of society is floating downstream with the current. But we, when we become Christians, we, we come alive, then we begin to pursue the things of God. We begin to pursue a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. Resisting the desire of the flesh is spiritual warfare. But we have uh, a partner in the process. Jesus Christ works in us again through his Holy Spirit. And I don't think I can emphasize that enough. We work and God works with us. Paul said in Colossians 1.29, and I'm reading in the New Living Testament, that's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me or works with me, Paul says. So when we become Christians, we struggle against sin with the Lord's power that is working inside of us. Now let's read verses six through seven. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord would punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Sexual immorality takes advantage of a sex partner by dragging them down. Both parties sin against their own bodies, but they also sin against their partner's body. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. God will punish those who commit such sins, verse 6 says. As Christians, we are responsible to encourage each other to do good and not evil. God's people are called to live holy. That's how we shine. Uh, and that's how we light the way for other people. It's by how, how we live our lives more than what we say. How we live speaks louder than what we say. Our Christian conduct is our salt. Now in verse eight, it says, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This demand that God is making for a drastic lifestyle change came directly from God, not Paul, not Silas, not, not the other members uh, of the missionary company, uh, it was from God. And to reject the word of God is to reject God. So Paul wanted to emphasize that this didn't come from me. Very often when we teach the Bible, um, people get offended at us for teaching it, but we are just the mailmen. It doesn't come from us. We didn't write it. We just convey it. So to reject it is not to reject us, it's to reject God. Now, verses 9 and 10. Now, about your love for one another, we do, do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have, taught, have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. The natural inclination of a spirit-filled person is to love others. God is love, and he brings his love into us when we are born again, and he imparts to us his spirit. His spirit comes into us, and it brings love into our hearts. 
true Christians are called to cultivate that love in our hearts. The Thessalonians were already doing it. They were already loving one another. They already had the love of God in their hearts, but Paul wanted them to grow in this love. Paul wanted them to increase more and more and to be intentional in their love for each other. To be intentional is to be deliberate, is to deliberately do things to demonstrate our love for each other. Christians have to resist the urge to be bitter and vengeful, and we have to determine to love one another. Loving other people is a conscious decision that we make. It's not something that we just fall into. We have to decide that I'm going to love because very often the circumstances uh, will not elicit love. Sometimes people do things to us um, that uh, aggravates us and wants us to do anything but love them. Um, But we have to be deliberate and say, I'm going to treat them with kindness anyway. I'm going to do what is right anyway. And love is just not how we feel. It's how we act. The feelings will come around later if we obey God in our actions. Now, verses 11 and 12. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul said, demonstrate your love for others by leading a quiet life. Leading a quiet life is a way of demonstrating our love to others because it considers other people's space. It is considerate of other people when we live a quiet life. And when when we live a boisterous life, intruding on other people's uh, space and violating other people's rights and and their freedoms, then we're we're not living a lifestyle of love. And then Paul said, minding your own business is another way that we demonstrate love to other people. Uh, we don't meddle in other people's affairs. We mind our own business. And then he says another way that you demonstrate love is uh, not to leech on other people, but work with your own hands to, uh, uh, to gain respect and be independent. Work with your own hands so that you'll not be uh, dependent on any anyone. Being considerate of other people's space, working to take care of yourself and, and having to give to other people these are ways that we can demonstrate uh, love, but, but there are also lifestyle changes that the Thessalonians needed to make. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 says, Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. So love is considerate of other people and their needs. Paul taught um, the Thessalonians to imitate the love of God. Now let's look at verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul educates the Thessalonians about the death of a Christian and about the return of Christ. Some of the Thessalonians were grieving like unbelievers who have no hope. They didn't know what had happened to their Christian loved ones who had died and gone on, and so they were grieving hopelessly. Unbelievers grieve hopelessly because they have no promise of a future reunion. Christians do. God has promised us 
that if we believe, then uh, our believing loved ones, our Christian friends and relatives will be united at us with us again at that great reunion in the future. Our hope is linked to the resurrection of Christ. Since Christ rose from the dead, he is the first to rise, but not the last to rise. And since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have a model of what's going to happen to us. Just like he rose, we are going to rise. Verse 14 says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that Jesus will bring those who have died back with him when he comes. When a Christian dies, the spirit goes to heaven. That Christian spirit goes to heaven. The body goes back to the dust. The spirit lives on in heaven until Christ returns with it. For a Christian, a life is far better after death because we're fully alive and fully aware and we're enjoying the total rest and peace uh, that God provides for us. And we are also made perfect. When a Christian dies, his spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven, that place of rest. And at the time of Jesus' return, he will bring them back with him. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit more a little later. Actually, Isaiah 57 and verses 1 through 3 says, Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths shall rest in peace when they die. So when a Christian dies, he goes to rest in peace. No more trouble. No more turmoil. No more worries, no more anxieties, no more disappointments, just rest and peace. They're not asleep. They're fully conscious. They're in heaven with the Lord, enjoying paradise until he comes back and brings the spirit of those who have died back with him. Uh, and then there will be the resurrection where the spirit reunites with the body. First Corinthians chapter five, verses six through eight, Paul said this. As long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul said he would rather be away from his body and at home with the Lord. John the Apostle said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, they rest from their labor. Revelation 14 and 13. And Hebrews 12 and 23 says, it tells us that the spirits of the people who are now in heaven have now been made perfect. So death for a Christian is a release to a far better life. Now let's look at verses 15 through 18. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, here's the order of events during the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes back, resurrect the dead, transform the living saints. Christ will return with the spirits of the saints and the angels will be with him. There will be this loud trumpet blast 
and Christ will return, and the dead bodies of the saints will be instantly recreated and glorified, and the spirits of those saints will re-enter the bodies and rise, and this will all happen in a flash, in a in, in a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. The living saints are then transformed and raised from the ground to the air, and both the resurrected saints and the transformed saints will be together with the Lord forever. And he says, comfort each other with these words. Paul urges us to comfort other Christians with these words. And as a, as a minister, a veteran pastor, I've done many funerals, and I always resort to the words of Paul concerning the resurrection to encourage and to comfort the saints who have uh, been bereaved of their loved ones. Well, that brings us to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and next time we will look at chapter 5, and I look forward to seeing you. God bless you. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.EmergeCurriculum.com. 